How's it going, everybody? Aloha and welcome to the season finale of Hawaii Football Final here at KHON2.com or anywhere you get your podcast. I'm your host, Rob DeMello, joining me a couple of good brothers. Former University of Hawaii player and coach, 11-year NFL veteran, the legendary Rich Miano, along with former Rainbow Warrior offensive lineman, 2016 Ben Yee Award winner, R.J. Hollis. And in unforgettable fashion, fellas, the University of Hawaii football team closed out the 2023 season in thrilling fashion, beating Colorado State 27-24 on a Matthew Shipley 51-yard field goal as time expired to triumphantly celebrate senior night with a fifth victory to end the year. We have so much to talk about from the performances to what led up to the game winner that we're going to be talking about for many years to come. And of course, closing the chapter on 2023 for Rainbow Warrior football. So let's get straight to it. Rich Miano, try to put into words how incredible of a game that was between Hawaii and Colorado State on senior night as Hawaii gets the victory that is, I don't care what anybody says, goes down as one of the greatest finishes in UH history. Yeah, you know, Rob, this is one of the greatest weekends in football history because I went to that Kahuku Mililani game and I thought, what a fantastic finish. And then you go to the University of Hawaii game on senior night. You see over 10,000 people in the stadium. You know, it was electric and, you know, being up by 14 points, but then having to come at the last minute and execute, you know, a 51-yard field goal and see Matt Shipley, who had struggled earlier with one block and one miss. And, you know, a guy that, you know, just, man, the whole execution, the hurricane call on the sidelines to get those guys on the field, to get the offense off the field, to get that drive that was put together. To me, like I said, wow, lao, lao. I thought it was a heroic, heroic victory. So important for this program. It, was, it almost left an Italian Portuguese guy like me speechless. And that is very hard to do. Let me tell you. I mean, that's how Im- that's how impressive and iconic of a moment that was, is that it left Rich Miano speechless. And I was in your similar situation because we're doing the postgame show. And, you know, it's my turn to to, to go to RJ and, and try to get his thoughts on what we just watched. And, I mean, the only thing that came out of my mouth was that, you know, this was a roller coaster of a season. And that game was like the roller coaster of them all. For me, the incredible coaster, because that's as crazy as I get when it goes to roller coasters. And then my setup to RJ was essentially just, bro. <laughs> so I'm going to do that here on Hawaii Football Final. RJ, bro. Yeah, no, bro. That, I mean, dude, uh, me and Kavika and Rob, I mean, we were watching it you know, kind of unpack at the end. And I think the end kind of, you know, just it it was the icing on the cake because all in all, that was a very competitive football game. Colorado State did come to play. They had it marching offensively. They didn't make it easy on the University of Hawaii. Even when they did get down and they were on the road, they didn't, you know, falter. I mean, you could see the wind come all the way out of the sails of the crowd when Colorado State gets that last deep pass, scores to make it 22, and then the same guy gets it up to 24. So, bro, I mean, the game was incredible start to finish. It was competitive. And the ending not only – I think it just ended up becoming a beautiful poetic mix of being both an ending of a great game and the ending of a season that 
you know, like Rob said, I mean, it's it's one of the better, if not best finishes I've seen in my time at UH football. So, bro, it, it was it was uh it was a beautiful sight. And then you had guys like Micah Alejado and Devon Rice from Bishop Gorman there, big time recruits. You had longtime fans there. You had a senior class that's been through a lot. You have underclassmen that have a world of potential. There's a lot of guys coming back next year. So I think this whole thing, I mean, <laughs> it's funny because, like, that's how I'm going to end it, bro. Like, bro, that was just an amazing game, an amazing finish. I mean, you couldn't have asked for a better season ender. Yeah, it's a game that literally had everything, including a proposal at the end of the night with John Tui Tupo proposing to his longtime girlfriend. Congratulations to them. Um, It's like we said, it's going to be a a matchup and and a moment and all that that we're going to be talking about for many years to come here in the state of Hawaii. Now, there's still so much to talk about, and I want to get into the drive and everything that led up to that moment. But let's go over some of the numbers here from this 27-24 Hawaii victory over Colorado State, starting with the quarterback, Braden Shager for UH, 30 of 43, 320 yards passing and a touchdown. He also had 49 yards rushing. David Cordero, five carries for 52 yards. He was the leading rusher in the game. Landon Sims, nine carries for 36 yards as they put together 151 yards on the ground, keeping what RJ loves to point out that when Hawaii rushes for 90 yards or more this season, they're undefeated. They've gotten victories in every single effort that they've been able to do that. And they're able to do that here on Saturday night. Stephen McBride, six catches, 82 yards and a touchdown. He goes over the 1,000-yard mark for the season. Big ups to him. Pofele Ashlock, seven big catches for 81 yards. Kuali Nishigaya was a stud. Six catches, 62 yards, just moving the chains every single time he was looked at. Devin Tawaefa, three catches, 38 yards, his first career touchdown. And, of course, that came from Chucky Hines, who goes one for one, 26 yards passing and a touchdown, a quarterback rating of 11 deep bazillion. Uh, so big ups to him, too. And then you have, uh, uh, as far as catching the ball, Chucky, three catches, 29 yards. Jonah Pinoke, two catches for 15 yards. And then defensively, Peter Monoma, seven tackles. Jalen Smith, seven tackles and a tackle. Uh, for loss and two personal fouls plus an ejection uh, to go with his effort. Justin Sinclair, six catches or six uh, catches of Rams, I guess, right? With tackles. <laughs> and then Elijah Palmer, five tackles and an interception, which was huge, really turned the tide of this game. All right. With all that being said, Rich Miano, Hawaii has a double digit lead at one point in this game. In the fourth quarter, Colorado State stages a comeback. And with 50-plus seconds remaining, they, on a fourth and eight, connect on a touchdown pass. 70 yards, Torrey Horton, who was an absolute stud in this game. Nine catches, 186 yards, and a touchdown. We'll be watching him play on Sundays. Um, And uh, as RJ mentioned, two-point conversion ties the game at 24. Therefore... Hawaii gets the ball with 54 seconds left. Braden Shager is handed the keys to this offense and pretty much is told, get this squad into field goal range. He's able to rush the ball first, pick up a first down, 
You have a couple of Landon Sims gains where they're moving themselves up the field. And then finally, Braden Shager finds Chucky Hines on the sideline for another first down. I think 98% of the stadium thought that Chucky Hines went out of bounds because as soon as he makes that catch, the referee signals stop the clock. Now, he is signaling stop the clock because there is a first down, but there's no indication whether or not it stopped the clock because he's out of bounds. And, and I think anyone watching that game assumed that Chucky, uh, Chucky Hines dove out of bounds. Therefore, the clock stops. And that's why you see Matthew Shipley trot onto the field because he's thinking that you're going to get a full play clock. You got your special teams in there immediately to be able to get this kickoff. And, and really, the fact that they did that as early as they did when the catch was made, I think, needs a lot of attention. Um, but then Matthew Shipley, as he's trotting onto the field, he looks up and he sees the game clock moving. And at that point, it's eight seconds. And that trot turns into a sprint. He gets to the ball or gets into position at maybe four seconds. He pulls one part of his pant leg up for the kick, gets no step back. I mean, he looks like Charlie Brown out there, just whoop, you know, just, <laughs> and he gets this thing off. Canole uh, Leahy with an all-time call on the Spectrum Sports broadcast, Rich Miano losing his mind. So, Rich, Take us through that drive. And obviously the kick was impressive and that was unbelievable. But to do what they did in 54 seconds from start to finish, how incredible was that? It, it was totally incredible, right? And improbable and heroic in all of these uh, things that you can think of. I think Dan Kelly, the Iceman, would be proud in terms of how this finished. And it, it is a, a walk-off of the ages, especially with the senior celebration stuff. But yeah, so I was good with that first call, which was either a quarterback power or quarterback draw. I can't remember if the fullback actually led up there, but I liked that call initially. Then I wasn't real good with the second call to Landon Sims. And I think that's when he missed, he made a couple guys miss on the open field. And I said, you know, I haven't seen his dad make two guys miss on one play in four years. And, you know, the dad texts me back, whatever else. And we were joking back and forth, but, Man, and then the, the sideline throw was good, Rob. And you're right. The protocol or the procedural of the officials need to be better in terms of, and I'm not sure it's their fault because I don't think they really do this well and I've never seen it. Not only was that a first down, but you're right. You also have to know, is the clock going to be, is the ball going to be reset and started? Or was it an out-of-bounds play where the clock is, is stopped? And so, you know, I started talking about that because I had a feeling that they're going to set the ball and, and, and uh, the clock's going to start. So we, Spectrum, had a phenomenal visual of Matthew Shipley jogging onto the field, like you mentioned, looking up at the clock. And I said, you know, the clock is running. The clock is ticking. He has to, you know, they have to get this off. They have to get 11 guys off the field. They've got to get 11 guys on the field. And you can have 10 or 9, but good luck with that in terms of protection. And there was pressure the wing went out too far 
to get the outside guy who's the least dangerous out of the two. The inside guy came through. There was pressure off the other edge. The ball was has to be a low trajectory in terms of making it from 51 yards. And that thing was good by six or seven yards going into Diamond Head, down Wiley Avenue, into the trade winds. And Kanoa he said, man, we listened to that call over and over, and it was a wonderful call. And he thought, you know, you think that, it wasn't, it wasn't good that I said, not even sure, you know, they don't know what they're doing it, because there was such mass confusion. And, you know, if you said a Chinese fire drill, you you know, on the spectrum cable, you'd probably get a lot of people calling in and talking about what do you mean? You know, and, and it was just one of those situations where it was so hectic that was there only 11 people on the field? Is this a Big 12, Big 10 SEC stadium where there's going to be 100,000 people on the field? Because there's zero time. The ball went through the uprights. They signaled good. They had to review it. There was some tense moments in that review situation. But again, man, that just to me, RJ and you said it great. For a season that had so many highs and so many lows, and if this game was not good, you know, was the floor risen? Is there a ceiling for this program? Are we heading in the right directions? I think emphatically, yes, because of that kick, because of this game, because of that drive. Unbelievable. RJ, what was more impressive to you? The fact that Matthew Shipley got that thing off. And 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 really, the long snapper, the holder, right? Matthew, I mean, the Solomon Landrum, Ben Falk. Exactly. I mean, the fact that that thing got off in the little amount of time that it did, or the fact that they were even in a position to make that kick with 54 seconds on the clock, no timeouts, and this opportunity that Braden Shager was given to, to hey, you got to create something here. Wh- which one stands out to you the most? Well, yeah, I'm going to have to do this kind of like – uh. I do my spectrum answers. You know, I can't just say straight up. I'm going to have to go both. Like my man radio said, I take both because I'm going to be real with you. It kind of was like both of those things happening together. And I mean, the question you set me up, it's, it's perfect, Rob. Both of those things happening together is what made it so amazing, is what made it so. Because I believe when Colorado State scores its 24th point, there's like 52 seconds left less than a minute, and then UH has used all of its timeouts. So there was already a thinking of, ah, man, how are you going to put together a drive, no timeouts, and be able to get close enough for Matthew Shipley to kick it? Also remember, Matthew Shipley missed the kick in that game. He had a field goal that was blocked in that game. There was some confusion on that play, whether that was a dead foul or not. So there was already a bunch of things stacked up against both parts of that ending drive. But I think that second call, like Rich said, also gave me pause. And you got to give credit to my man Landon Sims because that play definitely helped set up a open ability to get that next play that will get you into the position to kick a 52-yarder, which, if I'm not mistaken, was either a season high or a career high for Matthew Shipley. So we well, ended I, up being a 51-yarder officially. 51-yarder, 51-yarder, 51-yarder. Um, But – yeah, that drive, like Rich said, to get there, you didn't know you had to design QB draw. You had to play to Landon Sims, and then in the Chuki Hines, it looked like he got thrown out and dove out of bounds. 
and then there was the confusion. And then Matthew Ship, I mean, man, bro, I pulled a hamstring before with plenty of warm-up running. <laughs> Not grabbing a tug of my leg and swinging to get a 51-yard field goal. Like, my leg would have shot out my back if I would have tried to do something like that. So to have that drive put together – that was a masterful drive. That was good play calling. That was a good, you know, like Rich said, Landon Sims making guys miss, which normally ain't his M.O., and leading into you having those final few seconds to go out there and set it up. And all Matthew Shipley has is, like you said, Rob, the tug of that, the tug of that quad, he tugs it about half a second, and then the ball comes out, and boom, it makes it with plenty of distance. I mean – God, it would be just too difficult to pick one of those aspects to be above the other because if there's no drive, Matthew Shipley doesn't even get the kick. If the drive does happen and Matthew Shipley misses, then we might be talking about this game in an entirely different light. So both of those aspects, the special teams to end it, the offense to get it up there, I mean, you got to give credit to, to all of those across the board. And if I had to pick, I would say I could pick. <laughs> All right, that's fair. That's fair. Uh, Braden Shager, the quarterback of this University of Hawaii football team, he's a junior. Um, he finishes the season as a 63% passer, 3,542 yards, 26 touchdowns, 14 interceptions. But really, the the growth of Braden within the offense, not the growth of Braden necessarily as a quarterback, but just within this offense, being the quarterback of this offense, winning three of the last four games and in each of those victories playing a very instrumental role in how he conducted things and using his legs finally, right? After weeks and weeks of a lot of people wondering, like, can that be an option? Can that be a wrinkle that this offense adds? And uh, he's done that. And whenever he has done it, they have won football games um, your thoughts, Rich, on Braden and and really, I mean, I, I, the perception of Braden Shager today with the season having ended the way it had, as opposed to maybe what it was five weeks ago. Yeah, no, I, I think well said, Rob. And, and I and I kind of didn't really think it was all the offensive line's fault initially. I didn't think it was all Braden Shager's fault initially. I didn't think it was all Timmy Chang and that offensive staff initially. I thought it was all of the above. And I thought that when they made that decision, and I give Nick Rolovich some credit, I give Dan Morrison some credit, I give anyone else that Timmy talked to in terms of developing an RPO game, continue to stick with the running game, the offensive line gelling and playing much more consistent throughout the year. Timmy Chang calling a better game plan. I thought this was Timmy Chang's best game plan, by the way. That jet sweep read option stuff, that was new. The trick play was new. There was some formations and personnel groups that were new. There were some wrinkles that we saw this past game that were new. But make no mistake, Rob, Braden Shager maturation level the improvement started with that biological clock of the quick game. Started with that ability to have some quarterback runs that were that were brought into this offense. Started with that that biological clock that recognized when guys are covered and they're playing two man, are they dropping back deep because they don't they don't respect your ability to run the football and your athleticism and being a plus one guy, being that guy that is is the dual threat. 
that's what changed this offense exponentially. So I give all of the above credit, but that was the turning point for this offense. And that's when it got excited. That's when they won three out of the four games. That's when you saw that Braden Shager's a top three quarterback in the Mountain West Conference. That's when you saw, you knew he could touch every part of the field. And how about the middle area attack this game? They attacked the middle of the field better. He took some heat off of his fastball a couple of times. He has been getting balls in over linebacker's head. We knew how good he could throw the deep ball earlier in the season. And then he starts checking it down to his receivers, knowing where they are, not just deciding to go upstairs. I mean, I... I can't say enough about this kid's toughness, his moxie, and his perseverance because there's still some people out there that don't think he's really good. He's really good. RJ, this senior class that was honored on Saturday, um, I'm going to go over the names. Damari Blanks, Noah Canberra, Andrew Choi, Jojo Fallo, Jono Kahahavai Welch. You have Kalani Kamakaviva Ole, Kila Kamakaviva Ole, Dalen Morris, Elijah Robinson, Fo'i Sila, Iliki Tanovasa, Isaiah Tufanga, John Tui Tupo, Kauka, Umiyamaka, Solo Vaipulu, and Jonah Panoke also walked on Saturday. It's unknown at this time whether or not he will be back next season. He does have the option to return, but he's going to weigh out his options here in the offseason with his family and, um, and make a decision at some point whether or not he will come back. But just in case he does not come back, he was able to walk with the seniors that he, uh, a lot of them that he entered the program with. And so when you look at this senior class, the legacy that they leave behind, obviously they wanted more than five victories in their final season. They wanted a bowl game, but to be the leadership group of Timmy Chang's first two years, eight victories over the course of those first two years following a, uh, just a, a nightmare of what happened with the program and players leaving uh, following the 2021 season. Uh, how would you define the legacy of this senior group? Um, resiliency, very similar to the last senior group. I mean, this is the, the TC Ching era. This is the condemned Aloha stadium era. This is the post high gram drama era. This is the, you know, right after Matlin era, there was a lot of, there was a lot of turmoil. There was a lot of, of mountains that these guys had to climb and overcome. And, you know, it's unfortunate that they weren't able to get to that bowl game, especially when you see towards the end, you know, some of those earlier season games, if they could have made these adjustments a little earlier, maybe they would have got to a bowl game. And I think that would have been a, a precipice for these guys, but this was definitely a resilient group, definitely a, a, a strong representation of what it means to be a football player for the University of Hawaii. You're not going to get what everybody else gets. You're not going to have the facilities everybody else has. You're going to have to deal with a lot more travel, a, a lot more drama. You're the professional team of the island that you're in. And to be able to deal with all of those hurdles added to the hurdles that they were getting specifically for being University of Hawaii football players as far as the outside drama and all that, uh, just an overall resilient and really great group. You know, they bled the whole way. Um, they fought guys like John Tui Tupo and Isaiah Tufunga. And, you know, the list goes on of the guys that just showed up day in and day out to represent the University of Hawaii to help fight for this team. And, you know, 
this time next year, if this team is at a bowl game, there's no senior, I'm sure, that won't be invited to the sideline like we've seen during the season, some of the guys coming back. There won't be a senior that comes back that I'm sure Timmy Chang won't give credit to, that players won't give credit to for being a pillar and, and a foundational piece of what it is to come in the future. And I think that's a, another big part of this group is I think they're going to be the leaders and the big brothers to some guys that are going to ball out. Similarly to how I was, you know, when I left the youngins in the locker room in 2016, I got to watch them grow up into the 2018 team and then eventually the 2019 team. And when I came out there, there was always that respect of you was big bro. You know, we watched you go from, you know, losing your whole career like you would always tell us to the one time you helped us get better and got to that bowl game. So I think this senior class is going to be that same leadership those same big brothers for guys that, in my opinion, if they hit this offseason right, are, are going to make those seniors that left this year very proud. Now, obviously, with this being the last Hawaii football final of the season, uh, we got a lot of questions into the mailbox, and I want to get to those, but I want to give Rich an opportunity uh, to talk about this senior class as far as your thoughts on on what RJ just said and and really the importance of this group, Eliki Tanovasa earlier in the week before playing that Colorado State game and his media availability uh, made the quote of, hey, it, I take great pride in being a part of the group that planted the seed of what we're going to see here moving forward. Is that how you view this group, that these are the guys that plant the seed? Yeah, I do. And, and I think RJ said it very eloquently. And, and I agree with him on uh, pretty much everything he said. Uh, you know, when I think of the senior class, and I'm going to leave out a guy or two that I should have not missed, but John Tui Tapo, Aliki Tanavasa, Isaiah Tufunga, possibly, Jonah Kahavai Welch, Andrew Choi. You mentioned Jonah Pinocchi, and, and there's other guys. Every guy on that list. And, you know, the list is so fluid because of the COVID years and whether guys decide to come back and you know some guys have walked twice maybe even three times I'm not sure but that, that was a special group and, and 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 RJ said resilient and I say adversity and basically those words mean similar things right because RJ mentioned the facilities and the closing of the stadium and the Todd Graham era and the even you could say David Matlin and some you know uh, similar scenarios what happened with a uh, you know, all of this, this football program, but, you know, closing of the grass practice field in the middle of the season, the 37,000 miles of travel when you're sitting next to each other in Colorado state comes in on a cargo plane and has plenty of room for everybody to stretch out and everything else. And I'm sure they're not eating, you know, they, these teams have better facilities. These teams have more money. These teams have more better apparel deals. They have better NILs. So there is a lot of adversity of playing for this football team. But you know what? That's what I think made this group so special. And they stuck together and they could have left and they could have complained. And I've never, and they didn't quit even in the games they lost when they were down 35 0 in Wyoming. They played better in the second half. They didn't go in the locker room and feel sorry for themselves. I've never heard them talking about feeling sorry for themselves. These guys played for each other, and that's the cliche, but it's true. They played for Timmy Chang, and that's a cliche, but it was true in this scenario. This was a team that we should all remember, and hopefully that foundation is really solid in terms of concrete. Hopefully that will be the building blocks, but if it's going to be the building blocks, we got to get everybody else 
putting up, going to Home Depot and going to Lowe's and getting their hammers and getting their nails and getting some two by fours and building the structure of this foundation. We need to continue to rise up. And uh, I'm just hoping that works. Awesome stuff, man. Well, uh, the Hawaii football final mailbox uh, was open and much mahalo to everybody that sent in their questions. We're going to try to get to a bunch of them here on this season finale of HFF. Moving forward, you can always reach me on email, rdemelo at khon2.com, on Instagram, at Rob DeMello, on X, at Rob DeMello, K-H-O-N. All right, the first question comes from Kyle on Facebook. Five and eight season for UH. Do you consider that a successful season? And in the first episode of Hawaii Football Final, we didn't give our predictions as far as where the University of Hawaii would finish, but we gave our ceiling and our floor, our opinion. If everything goes right, this is about the best UH can do this season. And as far as the ceiling goes, um, this is where we felt. And it wasn't how bad it could be, but it was this is where it has to be, right? That, that That's the ceiling. It has to be here in order to keep this thing going in a positive momentum. And uh, we had the ceiling at eight and five on, on the average uh, between the three of us, five and eight on the average between the three of us. They finish at five and eight. But the question is, do you consider that a success? RJ, I'm going to let you go first. Uh, oh, that's kind of a loaded question because, I mean, you kind of got to differentiate success status quo. Um, I would say it was a success only because of the way the season was going and the way that it ended. And then you add in a win over the number one team in the conference at the time an air force that was absolutely humming. Um, I, I think it was a success. I think you could have had three or four wins. You could have, it could have been worse than it actually was. And to me in, you know, uh, era of division one football where you're talking conference realignment, where you're talking billion dollar TV deals. And I know that seems like it's outside of the subject, but to be able to deal with, you know, everything that the university of Hawaii football team and coaching staff had to deal with, be resilient enough to get that road win in Nevada then get a victory against the Air Force, which was just, you know, kind of the the tip of the iceberg as far as their successes this season. And then being able to compete with Colorado State and at home send the fans off into the offseason on the highest of highs. I can assure you I've never heard T.C. Ching that loud all this season than after Matthew Shipley sailed that last kick. So I think you can't just look at the specific record of five and eight and go is that a success because you never want a losing season to be looked at as success but at the same time with all of the outside drama with all of the resiliency that they showed and then getting that peak you know good win at air force which i said on this podcast if they were able to get to a bowl game i would have put that over our 2016 double overtime win at air force so i think it was a success when you look at everything culminating into that final kick getting you into five and eight, sending you into an off season where you got a lot of guys coming back with momentum, sending fans in the off season, feeling better about next year. Uh, I think the five and eight of this 2023 Hawaii football team was a success. Yes. Rich Miano, your thoughts, five and eight is success. 
Yeah, and Rob, the reason why I say that is is before the season, we talked about this. I think you and I were on the five in terms of having five wins compared to three last year. Uh, the floor has risen. Make no mistake about that. Uh, winning three out of the last four games, being four and three at home, beating Air Force, New Mexico State University, or who I think is winning their conference or won their conference or in their conference championship, Colorado State, that was another good program. Those three games to me, those are three good football programs. Those are three big wins, right? And people forget, right? Injuries are part of college football. And they didn't have much of devastating injuries other than a Logan Taylor situation, but the whole Tyler Hines, to me, he was the most explosive player coming back on this football team. And he was not available pretty much the whole season. That set this offense back a lot because he is that kind of explosive type of player. So they had, you know, it, to me, it, it, it was a success. If they would have won those last two games, I, I think like RJ, then you're talking a whole nother level of success going to a bowl game for the adversity that these guys have been through. But I even said if they're one and one in those last two games, and we didn't expect them to lose to Wyoming and play so poorly. But again, this was a big win. This was a good football program. And uh, proud of Timmy Chang, proud of Jacob Euro, proud of this coaching staff, and proud of this football team. Yeah. Uh, you know, and, and the way I look at it, it, I'm not going to use the word success because I think if you ask any of the players and coaches, if they felt that it was successful, they'd say no, they because they had goals in mind and they weren't able to achieve those goals. Yeah. But with that being said, it is progress, right? It, it It's progress nice. to where, you know, and I think a lot of people, even talking to, to fans at the game or at the gas station or at the grocery store. And, you know, I think sometimes people forget, what happened, you know, as far as Timmy Chang taking this job and the roster? I mean, we talked about it a few times, especially when it happened that, I mean, I think the only thing I could ever compare it to is the SMU death penalty as far as what <laughs> UH had to do. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and go look up what SMU's record was, right? I mean, moving forward. I mean, I know it's a different situation because they, you know, they weren't allowed to give scholarships. So I don't think that's fair either. Um, but it was just a huge undertaking. And it was going to take a massive effort by players, by coaches, by everyone involved. And the three wins last season, by no stretch of the imagination, was that a success? But it's about what everyone anticipated because of what had just happened. But then you look at year two and, and you say like, okay, there needs to be growth. There needs to be progress made. And I think plus two progress is significant because that creates a trend that in year one, you go three wins. In year two, you go plus two, that's five wins. Now, if year three, you go plus two again, that's seven wins. And that's a bowl game. That's Mountain West Conference, you know, potential contention if you have seven wins. And, um, you know, and, and so I just think that it creates progress. It creates that trend that you need to be on in order to get a season that you would call without a doubt a success. And so I'm not going to say that 2023 was a success, but it definitely was not a failure. And it definitely was progress for this program. So uh, I like that, Rob. That's and, what I like and I think that, you know, that there is a middle ground. Like, 
it isn't just success and failure, right? There is a middle ground sure. um, in life. And, and so I think that's what this University of Hawaii football team tapped to tapped into here in 2023. All right. Kaleo via email asking, is it bowl game or bust for Chang in season three? Rich, I'm going to let you go first. Is uh, Hawaii dancing uh, with a bowl game invite next season? And, or, or, and if that doesn't happen, is that the end of the Timmy Chang era? What are your thoughts? Yeah, no, that that's a good question, right? But I, I would say going to a bowl game needs to be an achievable goal. And, and you'd like to see, as you mentioned, Rob, plus two to get to the seven wins, right? And six may be capable. But it's how they compete. It's how they execute. It's how disciplined the team is and all of those things, right? Because we all know this program needs financial and facility and leadership help. And if we get the right people in this canoe and Timmy Chang has this catapulted start to recruiting, as we saw the Bishop Gorman guys, we've seen some other verbal commitments, Pafeli uh, Ashlock's brother, supposedly, and some other people. This They know what they need. We've talked about uh, at nauseum about what this program needs and i and i think these guys do bleed green for most of the part these guys on the staff so i i do think that um it's not going to be a bust now if they were to falter and play horribly and not be disciplined and not execute and all those other things and timmy chang doesn't have any success then you may be able to start that conversation but i think it'd be very premature to say just because you don't win six or seven games next year timmy chang needs to go yeah, it, uh, I feel the same way. And, um, you know, with that being said, yeah, you you can't just look at the numbers, right? And be like, okay, so six, seven, eight, nine, ten wins, obviously. But anything less than that, then, you know, you're out of here and we're starting this thing all over again. Because, you know, what if it's five and eight with all one possession losses, right? Or what if, you know, what if it's five and eight with close games that go down to the wire, but then there's a positive recruiting class and, you know, the, the the younger players on the team are, are, you know, the most productive players on the team and you got a good team coming back. So, I mean, you know, it, it's not as easy as just looking at this one number and saying, OK, that's going to do it. Um, but again, I mean, you need continued progress. This team needs to be better next year than they were this year. And I think that's going to dictate uh, what happens here moving forward. Uh, with Timmy Chang and and the possibilities of of the future, but uh, I mean, in all honesty, we all remembered what it looked like against Vanderbilt in the home opener last season. Um, we know what it looked like against San Jose State in the middle of the season this year, right? Those were kind of just like that. That's the lowest of the lows. But then we also saw at Nevada, we saw Air Force, we saw this game against Colorado State, we saw New Mexico State, one of the who went on to beat Auburn, and and as Rich mentioned, yeah. playing for the Conference USA Championship, and so they beat good football teams here this season, which in theory means that they've shown that they can be a good football team, and so they just got to show that again next season. RJ, your thoughts? Uh, I'm kind of going to just piggyback off of like towards the end of your answer, and I'm actually have to say, yeah, I won't say bust as in Timmy Chang is fired. Obviously not. You know, he needs time. You need help. You need support. But I will say this, and I kind of mentioned it in the Spectrum broadcast, the amount of talent that was not walking in that senior walk should set you up to believe that if you develop these guys during the offseason and bring them all back better than they were. I mean, even, you know, piggybacking off the Braden Shaker, I kind of wanted to speak some on it, you know, because another stat I brought up was 
Braden Shager, when he was 300 yards or plus, the University of Hawaii had a losing record. Once he started becoming a game manager, figuring it out, oh, he's leading them to wins. Pofele Ashlock and Stephen McBride, your number one and number two receiver, they both come back. Your hair on fire defender, Peter Manuma, he comes back. Elijah Palmer, I feel like he's just been a playmaking guy. He's a true freshman. He's coming back. Jamie Otis is coming back. Chucky Hines is coming back. There is a lot of talent coming back. And even talent coming in, when you talk about Micah Alejado coming from Bishop Gorman, and ladies and gentlemen, if you don't know who Micah Alejado is, do yourself a favor and look him up because it will make you very excited to know that we were able to even land a guy like this. But to me, with the amount of talent that you are going to return, with the amount of potential that is there, and with the way the season ended, knowing that a developed offseason could get you into a bowl game, because let's not act like if this team doesn't get one more extra possession the right way against Vanderbilt, plays San Diego State the way they played the last four games, this isn't a bowl team already. We're not talking about them playing on Christmas Eve this year in 2023. There was a very good chance that if a couple of dice rolled away of the University of Hawaii, They'd be in a bowl game now. So I truly do believe that come next year. I mean, you got guys like Verdell Edwards coming back. I, I truly do believe that this team, especially as a guy that, you know, has been in a position where you see potential coming, like watching 2015 turn into 2016, who was coming back, who we had, all that stuff. I, I think it wouldn't be, like I said, a bust in terms of Timmy Chang getting fired or him losing the locker room or it's just going to be complete turmoil if they don't go to a bowl game. But I do think, especially in the locker room, coaching staff, and even Timmy Chang in itself, there will be a severe disappointment if this team with all of this talent comes back next year and they don't make it to a bowl game. So I won't say complete bust, but I will say some pretty heavy disappointment if next year uh, the University of Hawaii isn't playing after regular season. Yeah, I, I mean, talent-wise, there's a lot of really good football players that are coming back it, it, for this University of Hawaii football team. But, yeah, I mean, there there needs to be context, right? You can't just look at a movie poster and be like, man, that movie looks fire. Let's give it some <laughs> awards, right? You got to watch the movie. You got to make sure that this right. thing is actually as good as the poster says. So I think that's the, the thoughts here on 2024. All right, AMT on X asking, what will be the toughest decision that Timmy Chang has to make in this offseason. And so I'm going to go to the guy with coaching experience here, Rich Miano. What do you think that's going to be? I think there's a couple of things, Rob. I think staff changes. There has to be some changes uh, for this team to continue to rise up. I think you also have to talk player retention, obviously keeping the guys who I think are NIL worthy. And that's Peter Manuma. That's Braden Shager. That's Profeli Ashlock. You know, Stephen McBride obviously is a great player, but he's not going anywhere. You got and uh, Jalen Smith is one of those guys. And I'll tell you another thing, Rob. It's going to also be players you need to remove from the roster or move on from that are not doing what they need to do to make this program successful. And then you got to also who are you recruiting and make sure that you are very disciplined in your recruiting. And the last thing is Timmy Chang needs to be hard. And when I say hard, he has to be a disciplinarian. You know, that whole push the sled stuff, that whole mana, that whole practice discipline. And, you know, guys 
cutting down on penalties and executing and really stressing techniques and the little things. And RJ mentioned running the football. Well, you also have to take it away on defense and you have to possess it on offense. And three out of those last four, three out three wins out of those last four games, that's the formula of success. Yeah. Absolutely. And I think uh, you hit it on the head as far as uh, roster development, um, but then also, yeah, roster changes because, you know, especially with the COVID years, um, you know, you have guys that could potentially be in a program for six years, seven years. And, you know, there needs to be a point where like, hey, you, you need you need room on this roster. You need to make room. And, um, you know, and, and it sounds harsh because, you know, this is a subject that wouldn't come up often in, in previous years or in the, the older college football. I mean, even when Rich was a part of the program uh, as a, an assistant coach where, you know, you had your guys, they had four years, maybe if they get hurt, they get a fifth year and then that's it. And they, but now, I mean, you, you have year, I mean, you got gray shirts and red shirts and medical hardships and COVID years and, you know, you got graduate students. I mean, it's very different. And, but then, so you always have to be making sure that your roster is evolving and there's room for younger guys to come in that you think might be able to help the program better or guys from the transfer portal that can come in. And the only way those guys could come in is if roster spots are made available. And that's a very difficult place to be in for a head coach, but those are the the tough decisions that you got to make when being a head coach and, and obviously with coaching staff as well. I think there's a, a lot of awesome coaches on this staff and um, even coaches that might not return doesn't mean that they're bad coaches, but you just need the right coaches to fit the program yeah. and to help you as a head coach, become a better coach to help the other coaches become better. And I think a little bit more experience will help that um, because you know, I mean, in every situation in a football game, it's like me in my career, right? You know, the job becomes so much easier because I've done it for over 20 years. So, you know, there are a few things that happen that I've never seen before, right? In situations and, you know, like the Rainbow Wahine volleyball team making an NCAA tournament. Well, they've made 30 consecutive NCAA tournament appearances and I've covered the last 20 or probably more than that, 21, 22 or something like that. And um, and so I know what it's like on these Sundays when the selection show comes out and, and this is what we're looking at and these are the, this is the information that I need and all that. And obviously very different than coaching a football team. But I, the point that I'm trying to make is that you you need to have lived through it in order to be comfortable in it. And I think when you have experience jump into something that's already kind of going then it opens eyes and you're able to teach this person with experience what we're doing here and they can come in and say, oh, well, have you ever thought about this? And and that's where evolution takes place. And so, yeah, there's going to be tough decisions that, that are going to be need to be made by Timmy Chang as far as the roster and staff goes. RJ, your thoughts? Uh, well, Rich, you know, kind of used a couple of things and I would have said myself, but uh, just to not repeat, with the one thing I have left, I would say it would be his toughest decision will be developing or recruiting. And I think that's a two-way street where it's both players and coaches because the hard part about being a coach at the University of Hawaii is be you can't do like other coaches and cross state lines in an hour or get in a car, drive a couple of hours and be outside of your area. 
outside of your time zone or, or whatever it may be. You have to have a very dedicated staff, a very dedicated group when it comes to recruiting. So that means it's going to be a lot of focus, a lot of time in it. There's going to be that aspect of it, but there's also got to be the development. And for the University of Hawaii, that takes a lot of time of being home, of being on the island, of talking to the guys you already have. If there are coaches that you're going to bring back that you've seen mistakes in what they do, or you've seen, you know, any shortcomings in what they do, you got to talk to them straight up, man to man. Like, hey, bro, we're going to bring you back, but I can't have this. I can't have that. I can't have this. I can't have that. And either we're going to develop what we have or we're going to have to actively seek new players or staff. And to me, the only reason I think it is difficult is because of where you are geographically. You're a five-hour flight away from Los Angeles just to get to the far furthest point west of the continental United States. You're not at a normal mainland school where you have the advantage of, I can fly to Florida early in the morning and be back where I am by today. You have to really focus on that. And then once you put too much of your marbles into the recruiting pot, I feel like it leaves a lot to be desired for development. So I think that's probably going to be one of Timmy Chang's most difficult balances is how much do I put into bringing on new staff, bringing on new players, bringing in new guys, and how much do I put into developing the staff that I have, developing the guys that I have, and making sure that when these guys, this staff, and these players return next year, they're a better form of themselves. It's good if you go get two stud wide receivers, but if Pafele Ashlock and Stephen McBride don't improve over the offseason, do the same things they did last season, and you got 13 games of film on them, well, you just lost your big advantage by not making them better. Same thing goes the other way, where if I don't get two guys, and, you know, God forbid, but Pafele Ashlock or Stephen McBride go down with injury early next season, who's there to replace them? So I think that's going to be a very difficult decision just because being in Hawaii, Active recruiting is very difficult. It takes a lot of time. You got to fly. You got to be on the road days at a time. And then development means you have to be back here at the home base. So you kind of get torn in between the two. And I think Timmy's going to have to really have some long nights and lots of talks uh, with himself about how he's going to handle that. Well, much mahalo for the question, AMT. Uh, we're going to go to Arnold via email. Uh, this will be the last question here in the mailbox. Is we're we're going to try to get things going here pretty soon. But uh Arnold's asking, which player do you think grew the most this season for the UH football team? Rich? Yeah, I'm going to go with uh, actually two guys. And I'm going to go to offensively, Brayden Shager. We talked about him. But the transformation to, dare we say, a dual threat, a plus one quarterback was huge. I thought that was a huge transformation. And on defense, I'm going to go with Isaiah Tufunga because I thought not only did he get in a great shape, and I give Cody uh, Cook a lot of credit on that but being a sideline a sideline player as well as the leader of this football team when he was the de facto leader because the loss of Logan Taylor I thought Isaiah played extremely well consistently all year long I love those two players and I thought they made a big difference RJ Hollis um I mean Rich yet again took who I was gonna say I was gonna say Brady Shaker but you know what in the sake of uh being honest in what has happened and in the improvement, I would probably have to say uh, Josh Atkins and Luke Felix Fulalo because that offensive line in the first five games, I think, was giving up like five or six sacks per game. Like it was almost paper towel O line. And now it's, you know, even 
a perfect example is Colorado State because they had an absolute stud at defensive end. They put him against both tackles, and he really wasn't able to make too much happen. So I think those guys definitely stepped it up. Uh, those tackles, those bookends definitely showed up towards the end of the season. It would have been Braden Shager. I love the way he's developed, but that offensive line, um, I, I would – I wish I actually had the stats handy. I know it was five sacks a game through the first five, but I know with those last seven or eight games, I doubt they were giving up much more than two sacks a game. And they played some studs, including a guy from Colorado State. So those offensive tackles and the offensive line altogether, definitely a, a, a progress from beginning to end. They looked uh, totally different. Yeah, I'm in a similar situation there, RJ, because uh, I think Josh Atkins probably would be on the top of the list for me. And I think, uh, you know, you pointed this out a bunch of times where, you know, the offensive linemen, even just uh, in the Wyoming game, Josh Atkins gave up pressure. And, you know, you, the reaction is kind of just like, oh, man, this guy is, you know, he's got to he's got to do a better job. And but big picture, Josh Atkins over the last five, six games of the season, I mean, has really improved. And yeah. if yes. you kind of put that into an off season and then you put that into getting ready for the next season, I mean, if he can make right. that kind of leap that he made within the season, I think Josh Atkins is the guy that, that can play tackle for the University of Hawaii and, and be able to um, help out Braden Shager and his development here as the Rainbow Warrior quarterback. So I'm going to go with him, but then also – Elijah Palmer, and this isn't because, you know, he showed to not have talent or he showed, you know, shakiness in the beginning of the season. I mean, he dealt with injuries midway through the year and, and missed a handful of games. But, I mean, the improvement of Elijah Palmer and the, just the comfort level of being out there in the field, and you saw it against um, Colorado State with that interception. You know, this is a guy, as a true freshman, you got to remember, not only a true freshman, an undersized true freshman right, who looks every bit like he belongs on that football field in every game that he's played this season. And, I mean, in the similar way with Josh Atkins, where now if you extrapolate that to this is how much better Elijah Palmer got in his true freshman season, getting his feet wet, imagine how good this guy can be in year two, in year three in year four, right? And I think what's important about that is that the Bishop Gorman pipeline that Chris Brown created uh, coming from that powerhouse back to his alma mater as the linebackers coach, creating that pipeline is one thing, but you need to keep that thing going. And when someone like Elijah Palmer plays the way that he did, that's how you get it going, right? Because the 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 next crop of Bishop Gorman players are watching University of Hawaii football games because, hey, I'm going to watch my boy. I'm going to see how these guys are doing. I'm going to watch Coach CB. I'm Oh, man, look at what EP is doing out there. I, I want to do that, too. I, I know I got that Hawaii offer. Man, I could join, you know, Jemai Otis is there. And, you know, if uh, come letter of intent signing day, Michael Alejandro and Devon Rice, they end up signing. You got McCumber that's already here, right? I mean, then it starts to become like, oh, man, that guy. It's going to be just like I'm back in the Bishop Gorman locker room, right? And and I think the more guys you can get here from that program that has that kind of experience in high school playing top-level national talent is only going to help this football team get better. And even if they're not playing right away, like a Jemai Otis, 
didn't play that much this season, but we're all at practice. Jemai Otis made this football team better because that dude's a baller and that guy plays hard, right? And so Elijah Palmer, I think uh, that's the guy that I'll look at as far as the growth on this football team. He really gets a gold star for me. And speaking of giving out things, it's time to give our end of season helmet sticker here on Hawaii football final. Before we do that, much mahalo everybody for sending in the questions uh, to the Hawaii football final mailbox. Again, we got so much more um, and uh, we weren't able to get to, I know a lot of people ask the same question as far as what's your prediction for a record next season, which at this point I just think isn't fair because I mean, we don't even know what the roster is going to look like. We don't know what the coaching staff is going to look like. Um, So I I just don't see um, any reason to do that exercise of, I mean, we don't, at the end of the day, we don't even know what the schedule is, right? Because there needs to be some tweaking that goes on with the Oregon State, Washington State thing, with the Mountain West, uh, that conference uh, little affiliation that they have going with the schedule and, and all that. But anyway, uh, maybe we'll get to that uh, the next time you hear from us on Hawaii Football Finals. We get ready for the 2024 season. But Rich Miano, your helmet sticker for 2023, who gets it? It's the shiniest and biggest sticker of them all. Yeah, Rob, and I just want to kind of, regress a little bit in terms of like you you know your stuff and I don't want to disagree with you and this is not a huge disagreement but I remember hearing about Elijah Palmer and I thought that was the biggest play in that football game other than the field goal that interception because things were looking bad it was about to be 14-0 he made a heck of a play and then he made a couple two or three other plays but I remember seeing him against Stanford and I thought he played big and I thought he played big all year long and he was injured so there was you know, where we kind of missed him for a few weeks, whatever else. But I thought that kid was big all year long. And I'm glad we covered him because I had it in my notes to talk about Elijah Palmer on this defense. So great job. Now, my helmet sticker is going to go to Al Ginoza, the equipment manager. <laughs> games, six road games, 37,000 miles, over 100 practices. And like most employees at UH, probably underpaid. Like most employees at UH, probably understaffed, but like most employees at UH, probably overworked, but hopefully not underappreciated. So make it a big sticker. I love it, man. And and nobody deserves it more than brother Al, uh, who anyone who visits UH practice or anyone that visits the athletics department within that football program, Al is one of the first people that people go and visit. And that tells you a lot about somebody right there. RJ Hollis. Um, Gosh, I really, I was, I didn't know what Rich was going to say, so I was waiting to see if he was going to take my answer. There's and no I, way you're going to give Al Ginoza, bro. No, 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 oh, no. Like, <laughs> no, because two times tonight he's taking my answer. This time he didn't. <laughs> and then, um, yeah. Great, great, um, think alike, RJ. Yeah, but uh, I really don't want to be cliche because, you know, I do like to do things a little different, but this time I think I'm going to be a little cliche, especially because of the season in its entirety. I got to give it to Timmy Chang, bro. I, I got to. Um, there was a point in the season where everybody, I don't think just analysts and fans, I don't think just play, I think everybody was truly wondering whether or not this was the guy for the job. Prior to that Nevada road win before the Air Force win, that was the 35-Z, I think the 35-0 San Jose State home game, that was probably right where, everybody had it in their minds can this guy do it can he get it done i don't know that following week the push the sled mantra comes out 
And then I think you go three and one or three and two for the remainder of the season. And you got a win over the number one team in the conference. You got a victory over your former mentor and Jay Norvell, which, you know, you can ask anybody that coached under Nick Saban, beating your mentor is not easy. That is not something that's easy to do. And more importantly, you beat your mentor in the final game, sending the seniors away good, sending the fans home happy into the offseason, and sending your returning players into training in the offseason, foaming out the mouth, ready to get better. But I, I would definitely give it to Timmy Chang because this was a season where you needed your head man to step up and either take it over himself or do what he did, step up and let your team and your staff know, hey, we're only going to be as good as you guys carry us. So what do you want to do? Do you want to sit in the back, keep getting our teeth kicked in, having everybody think we suck and we can't do anything, or are we going to push the sled, we're going to fight back, and we're going to show some resiliency to let people know, hey, we might not be the best, but we're going to fight. We're going to win the games that we can win, and we're going to compete every time we touch the football field. And I don't care if we got to travel 87,000 miles. We're going to get it done. I think these last, you know, going three and one in those last four games and starting the season off with a lot of moral victories, Vanderbilt being a loss that a lot of people took well, Stanford being a loss that people kind of accepted, sliding all the way to having your former quarterback in Chevy Cordero, St. Louis alum, just like you, come here and just put on an absolute clinic, send you off 35-0 and have the season just whirling in downfall. You got to give the sticker to Timmy Chang for being able to be resilient, be the head man, pull these guys back, get two extra wins, and go into the offseason with the momentum that he's had. So don't want to be cliche, but on this one, I'm going to have to be my season sticker goes to head coach Timmy Chang. All right, there you go. Timmy Chang gets the helmet sticker from R.J. Hollis, and I'm going to pull on R.J. Hollis right here because it's not one sticker, it's two stickers. And it's to Stephen Glide McBride. And, uh, you know, we got to come up with a nickname. Uh, let's go Pofele Stride uh, Ashlock. All right. So Glide and, Glide and Stride. Like, let's do that. All right. I like prolific. I like prolific Pofele too. I, I like that. I like that. Um, now, the reason why is, you know, we've talked about this before that, you know, within whether it's the run and shoot or whatever kind of offense you're running, um, especially if it's uh, an aerial offense where you're you're throwing the ball a lot. Offensive line is, you know, important. You're, you're not going to win games unless you get protection. And you're not going to win games unless you have a, a good quarterback. But that next phase is, I mean, you need guys to catch the ball, right? And when it comes to recruiting, when it comes to trying to sell the program, I don't know if any player or, or, or duo of players did more for the selling of the program when it comes to recruiting than Stephen McBride and Pofele Ashlock. Because on one side, you have a, a, a freshman in Ashlock who leads all freshman receivers in the FBS with 751 receiving yards. He has nine touchdowns, right? And so you have a guy as a freshman come in and put together that kind of production. And then on the other side of the spectrum, you have Stephen McBride, who spent three years at Kansas and just was never given that opportunity, was never able to put it together. Yep. And then in his first season at the University of Hawaii, he goes for over a thousand yards receiving. So now you can go in, in recruiting and, and go to high school seniors and, and say, look, hey, we got a guy 
They came in here and contributed right away. He put up these huge numbers as a freshman. You can do the same thing. Come and join the brotherhood, right? And then you could go into the transfer portal. And, and, and if there's someone with talent and you can say, hey, man, you have one last chance at this thing. Come to Hawaii. We can get you those numbers. We can get you seen by NFL scouts. And so I think that's huge because, and then the other thing too, right? With a quarterback is you can only have so many quarterbacks on your roster with a receiver. You need depth, right? You need every recruiting cycle to get multiple receivers. And so when you can go on both ends of the spectrum of the youngest of the young and the oldest of the old, as far as the collegiate experience goes and provide them proof and evidence, it isn't just a, this is what my vision is. It's, Hey, take a look at this. This is this, these guys did this here at the University of Hawaii. You can come do the same thing. I just think that's huge. And especially at this time of the year. So my helmet stickers go to Stephen McBride and Pofeli Ashlock. And um, all right, so ending things here, I want to give each you guys an opportunity to kind of just, just put it to bed as far as 2023, this University of Hawaii football season, your thoughts on what this season was and your thoughts moving forward. Rich Miano. Yeah, um, I hate to kind of piggyback off of what you guys have both been saying, but this was a roller coaster. And it was, there were some highs and there were a lot of lows and then there's some highs again. And it ended to me at the pinnacle of this season uh, with this last game. So to me, a circuitous route for Timmy Chain. Like RJ said, I, he does deserve the helmet sticker for bringing this team back. I think also, you got to mention the push the sled thing was brought up by Chris Brown, and and, and Timmy was smart enough to understand the 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 gravity of it. And um, man, it was kind of fun to be around uh, these coaches, these players, and see the depths of despair to see the pinnacle of success. And then it culminates with a group of seniors. And you know what? It's cliche when you talk about every senior deserves an incredible amount of gratitude for waking up early, for going through practice, for the time management, for what they go through, for playing the toughest, one of the toughest sports in in the world. But this was, and I don't care what anybody says, I'll argue one of the groups that was the most resilient, they had the most adverse conditions, so to me, I'm glad I was a small part of it and got to witness it because it should teach life lessons to a lot of people. RJ Hollis, your final thought. Um, I think this season, that game, especially that ending game, I think it showed what it means to be a part of the University of Hawaii football team. You got to be resilient. You got to really love this program. And the potential is there for the players, for the fan base, for the future. You know, I always used to get, you know, slightly envious of the love for high school football in the University of Hawaii as a player because I could always see the love and the the community and the camaraderie. And I always thought that was the one thing that the University of Hawaii needed. I, too, like Rich, was at that open state championship game with Mililani played Kahuku and the crowd was there and it was an exciting game and there was a lot of noise. It was a lot of energy. It was a lot of love. It did not compare at all to the energy after Matt Shipley made that last kick. 
and they were in the same location. They were in the same place. They were in the same spot. I think the potential for this program is still way bigger than anybody that's not heavily involved in it can see. But it is going to take the fight and the resist. Hey, coaches and players ain't the only ones that got to push the sled. Fans, you got to push the sled too. Why you got to travel further than everybody else? If you live in Hawaii, your cost of living's higher. So the money that you're giving to go to games, to buy merch, to support the team, it's coming a lot deeper out of your pocket than somebody who lives in Texas paying $150,000 for their house. It takes a bigger fight to be here. It takes a bigger fight to coach here, to play here, to be a fan here. But just the way that these guys ended that season after getting your first shutout loss since like 98, something like almost 30 years since your last shutout loss, in the same season, you beat the number one team in the conference. You had one of the most anticipated HHSAA Open championships in a long while that was competitive down to a two-point finish that had no comparison in the same venue to that field goal kick ending by Matthew Shipley. So to me, I think this season truly showed the potential of what the University of Hawaii can become if not just the players, not just the coaches, the fans, the analysts, the boosters, the future players, the past play alumni, everybody needs to get on that push the sled feel of just do a little bit more. Returning players, returning fans, do a little bit more. If it's nothing but going to Walmart and Ross buying a Hawaii shirt and just rocking it. You do a little bit more and a little bit of fight. If this program keeps this going, I promise you there is a future that a lot of people can't see. But to me, it was almost solidified. And I really didn't even say anything when it happened. I was going to talk to you and Kavika about it, but we were so excited. I just kind of let it run. The noise and the energy after Matthew Shipley made that last kick. It just showed what could become. It gave me, you know, flash forwards of what the potential is for this University of Hawaii football program. And I think Timmy Chang's still here in three years and the progress is still going the way it is. There's going to be a beast of a turnaround for a football team. Yeah, the, the potential is always there as we talk about. And, uh, you know, it's interesting. I was just having a conversation uh, with a friend over the weekend where – you know, uh, this friend is a huge football fan and loves the University of Hawaii and um, is, is a fan. But with that being said, um, we'll be the first to tell you that if they're not winning, he's not going. If he didn't think that they have a chance of winning the game, he's not going. And if they lose, he's going to talk smack about them on Instagram. Right. Like, and, and and this same fan is a huge NFL fan. He has his NFL team, Dallas Cowboys. And he, I mean, he is committed to the Dallas Cowboys, right? And no one can talk smack about the Dallas Cowboys. And 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 so we're kind of having that conversation that isn't it funny how the University of Hawaii is like where you live and where you're born and raised. And like, that's, that's the team that represents you. The Dallas Cowboys are just this team on TV that, right? That right. you're watching and, and yet you, you feel so different about it. And, and he kind of, he hit the... The example he gave, he said, well, yeah, I mean, when Hawaii loses, I'm embarrassed. They're embarrassing me because I'm from Hawaii, 
right? The Dallas Cowboys don't embarrass him like because that's just his team. And, and so it's kind of interesting. And I and I have to feel that a lot of people must feel that way, right? Because I mean, in this state, everyone's got their NFL team, right? And and most people it has no affiliation to anything. It's not where you, you know, it's not like you used to live somewhere where you just choose your team when you're a kid and that's your team and that's your ride or die. But the University of Hawaii is the team that needs to prove to you that that they deserve my eyeballs. They deserve my money. And, and so it's kind of interesting, but that's the fight that UH football program is always going to have to fight because of some of the, the things that RJ mentioned with the cost of living and, and all that. But um, at the end of the day, you got to win. And I think that in 2023, they showed that they are moving forward. They're progressing, but you got to continue that progression. Now that you got to five, you know, anything below that is not good enough anymore, right? It's almost like we, we talk about all the time. The Sugar Bowl was the worst thing that ever happened to UH because that set, you know, the stage as far as like anything other than that is, you know, you're you're coming up short. And so once you got to five, now you can't go below five now. You got to keep going up. And so in 2024, that's what you got to do. Um, but much mahalo, Rich Miano, RJ Hollis. Uh, I know Hawaii football final takes up a lot of time. Uh, during this football season that both of you guys are already busy i know i get emails and and messages all the time asking us to continue this thing throughout the year and for uh specific points whether it's recruiting or spring training camp and things like that and i'll tell you uh, we will try our best to every now and then power this thing up uh, but we all got families and uh th you know this is an undertaking uh that we we do during the football season um so that you listeners have this um, when games are done and, and within the season, but we'll try to do a better job of every now and then powering it up. But, um, you know, we'll, uh, you, there won't be a lot of episodes until the 2024 season. I'll be honest about that. Um, but again, thank you everybody for the support. We appreciate it again, rich RJ. Love you guys. And uh, happy holidays, everybody uh, stay in touch on social media and email. If you guys ever want to reach out, but uh, for the 2023 season here, that does it for Hawaii Football Final, khon2.com, or anywhere you download podcasts. Much aloha, everybody. Take care. <laughs>